Good morning, church family. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you are using one of the pew Bibles provided in the hymnal rack at your feet there, you will find it on page 1016. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd of the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of sufferings being ex are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark. My son, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. I do encourage you to have a copy of the scriptures open to that text that was just read for us. And first Peter there. Um, we're going to try to cover this chapter, I won't really spend much time or any time on the last couple verses there, so let me just make a couple of comments, like explanatory, in case you had some questions about that. Who is Silvanus? It's another form of the word of, for Silas, and so you might recognize the name Silas more than you do Silvanus, and uh, so that's who that's referring to there. And then the other thing that is much debated in that verse there is like, okay, who is, in verse 13, she who is at Babylon? Who is he talking to? There was a church time in church history where some people 
thought that that was referring to Peter's wife and uh, really no, that, that, that view is not uh, really embraced by too many serious theologians today. Uh, most settle on that that's a reference to the church at Rome, actually, and there's some reasons for that we won't get into this morning here. But as, since that was the last part of the text that was read, I thought those might be the first questions in people's minds, and so I thought I'd just answer that. And no, we're not going to start the tradition of kissing each other at church either, in case you were wondering about that, okay? Let's greet each other with a holy kiss of love. If you want to, go for it. I'll stick with my fist bumps and hugs. Okay. All right. Let's go back to, to the, the first part, though, of the chapter, and that's where we're going to be, begin our time here as we uh, dive into this text. This is the last sermon on this series. I've enjoyed studying the book, and it's been a fun study. Hopefully it's been helpful as we've gone through this book here. But I want to start with uh, an illustration that Chris Lundgaard uses in his book, uh, The Enemy Within. It's in chapter 1. He begins chapter 1 with this illustration. And if you've never read Chris's book, uh, The The Enemy Within, uh, I would encourage you to, to read that. It's a, it's a great, great book, um, very helpful in many ways. But he starts in chapter 1 with an illustration like this when he says this. He says, all I wanted to do was surprise my wife. Now, you know where this is going right away, okay? Since we had moved into our new house, he said, almost a year ago, the refrigerator door handle had been on the wrong side. I had been putting off moving it because of my clumsiness with mechanical things. But on this Tuesday, or Thursday morning, while my wife was at work, I was set to redeem myself and right the wrong. Chris goes on. I was halfway through the job. I had the refrigerator and freezer doors off and wanted to get them back on soon so nothing would spoil. I was at the pivotal step of swapping the hinges from the right side of the refrigerator to the left when I realized that each hinge was fastened by two torque screws. Two lousy torque screws. There's only one tool in the universe that can safely remove a torque screw, a torque socket. I didn't have a torque socket. <laughs> okay, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been, it's such a relatable story. You're trying to get something done. You're trying to get the, the project done. And then you realize what you need, the tools that you need to get the project done, you don't have. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. You realize, oh. He's like, why don't they just make everything the same? It's so much easier that way. And then you got, you know, metrics and standard sizes. And like, it'll fit. You know, just get a bigger hammer, you know, type of thing. You know? And so it's like so frustrating when you have a responsibility or you have a job to do, but you don't have the right tools or you don't have the equipment to get it done. It's very frustrating here. What Peter is doing here, it seems like in this text, he's like doing a pivot from where he's been talking about. He's been talking about suffering and enduring suffering, using your giftedness, enduring to the end. He's talking all about this. And then he pivots here in chapter 5 about starting to talk about pastors and elders and shepherds. Why does he do that? Well, I believe it's because he's telling these, encouraging the church that they have what is needed in order to finish this life well. And so if I was going to summarize the, the sermon, I would summarize it this way. To help us live this life, God has supplied shepherding care to live under. Okay? To help us live this life, God has supplied shepherding care to live under. Now, some of you might be thinking, the more cynical of you in the group might be thinking, this is the message Jeremy has just been waiting to preach. You know, talking about what you should do about shepherds. And actually, how it starts, it's a really appointed at, at me and the elders first. 
before of anything, and we'll go through that here in a second here. But it's interesting to me that what Peter does here is in he, how he identifies himself. Did you notice that in verse 1, when the text was read to you, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. How Peter chooses to identify himself is not as an apostle, is not as someone who, by the way, I walked with Jesus. Now, he does say he was witness to his sufferings, but that brings up a whole connotations of everyone knew where Peter was when Jesus was arrested and all what happened there. So why did he choose that? Why did he choose to identify himself as a fellow elder? Because he was trying to encourage them. It's like, just because, just like I want you to receive the words that I have for you in this letter, God has given you other elders to help you live this life. So the essence of the sermon is to help us live this life, this life of suffering that we're going to be called to for followers of Christ. God has supplied shepherding care to live under. Well, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing, and then we'll dive into uh, this text here for a few minutes here, okay? Father, we've read your word. We've made some introductory comments about it, and now we want to, to rightly divide it. And I have this wonderful privilege to stand in front of these dear people here and, and teach this text. And so I pray that I would do so in a way that is helpful, that is accurate to the text, and what honors and glorifies you. And I need your spirit's guidance to do that. And so as we have this privilege, I pray you'd remove distractions from my mind, from those who are listening, either here or online. And I pray that we'd be able to, to learn from this text. And we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to look at it today. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. All right. So if, if this statement is true, what I've just you know, put out here is our thesis statement of the day, of the sermon. If this is true, then how, it brings up the question, how do we live under the shepherding care that God has provided for us? So if, if God's provided this so that we can live this life, then what should our responsibility be towards it and how should we respond? So we have a, a, a few points here today to go through real quickly here. Number one, we must live under shepherd's care by having proper expectations of our shepherds. Okay, so we need to know what, what should you be expecting of the pastors, of the elders? What should you be expecting of those shepherds that God has provided for you? Um, it, it'd be wrong if there was unrealistic expectations or if there was some things. I mean, this is where, you know, disappointment and conflict always comes. Conflict always comes. I remember talking to my uncle years ago when he was a, a Christian counselor and, and then I was a, a student in Bible college and I was taking a counseling class and, and I asked him, I, I asked my uncle, I said, what is the number one thing that you counsel people for? And he said, Jeremy, I'm going to tell you, I counsel everyone for the exact same thing. I only counsel for one thing and one thing only. I said, well, I didn't know that you were that niche in your counseling. You know, what, what is it, the one thing that you always counsel people about? He says this, I always counsel everybody about unmet expectations. <laughs> he said, because that's ultimately where the conflict always comes from. That there was, some ex- there was some expectation, whether it was unrealistic or it was unbiblical or it was uh, uh, unspoken or whatever it was, there was some expectation that wasn't met and therefore there was the conflict. And so the, it, it's helpful that Peter gives us, okay, what should be the expectations of a shepherd here and, and uh, not just here at our church, but churches everywhere, but we'll make the application for here. Number one, if we're going to look at what the expectations are, we've got to kind of look at what is the job of a shepherd. So, and keep in mind, and, and I won't take time to trace it because uh, it would just take too long, but the, there's, 
the words that are used synonymously in the New Testament are there's like overseer, bishop, uh, pastor, uh, elder. These are all terms that are used throughout the New Testament kind of interchangeably, often even in the same text. This is one of those where we have a couple of the words that are used uh, for the same office, if you will, of pastor. We typically call it a pastor office or an elder office. It's really the same thing. Um, and so what is the job? What is our job as, as a pastor here of the church? What is uh, my job? And so I, I just want to walk through just a little bit here as uh, we look at the text here. First of all, he's talking about, he says, I exhort the elders. So he's, he's turning his attention to the pastors that are of the group there. These, they were scattered abroad. He says, here's what, while you're scattered and while you're suffering, and, and, and he's probably targeting them first because they were probably the first ones that were getting the sufferings and they were getting the loss of property and income and things like this. They had the biggest target on them. So he's encouraging them. And what does he do? The first thing he says to them, he says, shepherd, I'm in verse to shepherd, there's an imperative verb, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. See, this is one of those words that's used in other places uh, in First Timothy as the office of a pastor, as an overseer, as a bishop, if you will. And here the same word is used here in synonymously with elder uh, that we have together. So it's really the same office. So shepherd the flock among you by exercising oversight. So a job that uh, a pastor has is to be an overseer of the ministry here in the church. And so this is what the elder team has. We have the job of being an overseer of it. It doesn't mean we have to do everything, but it just means that we're, we're the ones that have been tasked by God to, to try to oversee and make sure that this ministry is we're, we're heading in the right direction. And we're, we're sinful people, we're, we're flawed people, and so we have to be people that are constantly keeping ourselves accountable and, and asking God to help us and, and, uh, and interacting with one another and being, being uh, submissive to what God is teaching us through his word and through the use of people in the church and other things, how God is equipping us to be the leaders that we need to be. But our main role as shepherds, as pastor here, is to be an overseer. And, and that's not just in terms of management, that's in terms of people's spiritual lives. And, and that doesn't mean that we're domineering, we're going to get to that. It doesn't mean we're dictating, but it means that, that we make decisions and we preach sermons and, and we do things out of, out of care for the flock because we want our congregation to grow. We want us to, to follow Christ and we need to be an overseers there. And, and how he does it, he says, he says as an overseer, uh, exercising oversight. And later on, he's going to talk about to be an example of the flock. This is, this is like, I mean, when I'm preaching the sermon here, when I was studying for this and I was reviewing, okay, this is what God has asked me to be here. You know, as part of the elder team, as a lead pastor here, this is, this is my job. And I remember 10 years ago, when uh, a little over 10 years ago, when I was first having conversations with, uh, uh, with Wayne and, and the, the pastoral search team at the time, and, and we talked about what is the role of a pastor. And I remember that day when I, when I became the pastor here, and I took those vows of the office of an elder here, standing on this stage in front of the people who are gathered here. And I have a copy of those vows in my office where I see them almost every day because I want to be reminded that this is my job, is to be someone who is an overseer of the flock, someone who's trying to be an example. Now, first of all, sometimes I feel like apologizing, okay? <laughs> you know, I, I wish you had a better example sometimes. Um, 
But I am who I am, and I say the same things what, what, what Paul said. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? He says, follow me as I follow Christ, okay? So if you see that what I'm doing is following Christ, then follow me. And I, I, I want to be that voice that is, in, is saying, come on, let's go do this. Not because I want you to emulate me, not because I, I want to make a kingdom about me, but I want us to be about Christ. But we all need a leader sometimes that says, hey, let's go, let's do this, and who's kind of overseeing. Every great football player needs a, a, a coach that's looking at the entire game and the scheme, uh, uh, and, you know, a builder, someone who's really gifted with crafting things. They need a, a someone that has a general oversight of the whole plan that is saying, let's make this happen and let's do it this way. And so it's not about a matter of importance in terms of, of, of worth or dignity in God's sight. It's a matter of different roles and responsibilities God's given to us. And he says, the expectation you should have, Memorial Baptist Church, is that your pastors are looking out for you and overseeing and trying to make sure that you have spiritual care, okay? So that, that's an expectation you should have. Um, there's a limitation to that when he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, okay? And so our responsibility are the people who are gathered here, the people who are part of our church. This is one of the reasons why we really stress membership is because it's defining the relationship. Because here it says, we're responsible to shepherd those who are among us. Well, who is among us? Because there's Christians, all, you heard me pray about believers in other churches. I don't have a shepherding responsibility towards them. They have their own shepherd. Our responsibility as an elder team is here. It's among us. And so this is the reason why we say, hey, be part of the ministry. Be part of it. Join the church if this is your church home so that we know, okay, that's the people we're supposed to give oversight. Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to reference it later on in the sermon, but it talks about how that we're going to give an account as elders over the people that were shepherds. How do we know who that is? That's how we want you to say, hey, I'm part of this church, and please have oversight care over my soul. Again, in, in, in the most godly way possible, not in any way because he's going to get into that in just a second here. Okay, so a shepherd's job is to be an example and be an overseer of the ministry. Number two, he gets right into the whole motivation of a shepherd. He says, remember, he's, he's, he's addressing the shepherds. He says, here's your job. While you're suffering, while things are going bad, while you're having difficulty and things don't seem to be going right, you've got to oversee the flock. You've got to rearrange your plans. You've got to make sure that you're caring for them. You're not just concerned about yourself. You're concerned about the flock. And then he says this, if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be an elder, he says, make sure you have the right reasons for it. He says, what does it say there in the text? But not under compulsion. I'm in the second part of verse 2. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. He's saying that this is not something that you should be doing just because you feel like you want to, feel like you have to do and that you do not want to do. He says if you're going to be a pastor, it's got to be something that you feel called to do, that is something that is a, you want to do. Now, I will say, most days I want to be a pastor, okay? <laughs> All right. I will admit, there are some days where I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. And then I realize, I can't do anything else, <laughs> all right? But, but the point is, if that was the general tenor of my feeling, those are rare moments. If that was the general tenor of my feeling of like, I really don't want to do this, but I just got to do it because it's the only thing I can do, I'm in the wrong spot, okay? Um, 
one of the first things when it talks about the qualifications of a bishop, which is another term for pastor, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, if anyone desires the office of a bishop, they aspire to a good thing. So really the first qualification of a pastor is that he's got to want it, okay? And then you say, well, isn't that proud? Well, he's going to get into that about the motivation here. But he says, no, it's about this desire. Like, I, I, I just feel like this is what God wants me to do. I'm a, I'm a, maybe I'm in the more unusual side of things. You're like, yeah, you are. Okay, okay but what I meant by that is that when I was 12 years old, I remember just feeling like this, this, this overwhelming desire that God wants me to be a pastor. And, you know, I found out years later some people were praying to that end, but the point is, and, the, and God obviously used those prayers, but, but the point is is that I... Um, I, I, I couldn't explain it. I remember just going and talking to my mom one day and just saying, I feel like God may want me to be a pastor when I grow up. I was 12 years old. And I remember her saying, well, let's just pray about that and let's just you know, continue to pray and you see what the Lord directs. And if that's where you think you best serve Jesus, that's where, that's where you need to go. And so from that day on, God just kept, that, that desire never went away. And I can't explain it. And so other people, they'll have a career. Uh, one of my very good friends in ministry, he had a whole separate career. And then it was like in the middle of like he just said, I feel like I need to use my giftedness not in the business world, not in the, in the, academic, uh, the world of academia, but I need to use it in the church and switch roles to become a pastor. God uses it in all different ways, but the motivation must be not something that is like drudgery or there's no other thing, well, you know, I, I just have to do it. He says, not uh, willing, not under compulsion, but willingly. But then he gets into the motivation here where he talks about not for shameful gain. It continues in the text there. He says, um, uh, uh, but eagerly, which is another term to really kind of say willingly, uh, as he talks about there. He says that this can't be something that is just about getting a paycheck. He says it can't be something about where you're in it for the money because what had happened was is as in the, first, in the first century, and it happens today too, unfortunately, but in the first century what was happening was is as Christianity was getting a little bit more popular in some areas and uh, there was some notoriety given, we see some accounts, uh, particularly in the later epistles here, of, 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 of people who wanted to have the office of a pastor because they thought it was going to bring prestige to them. Uh, it was going to bring reputation and notoriety. And he says, this is what Peter's saying, don't do this. Um, it was interesting, uh, I think it was last week or uh, maybe just over a week ago now, um, uh, Tim Keller, a uh, Presbyterian pastor in New York City, uh, passed away. He had stage 4 pancreatic cancer. He was diagnosed back in 2020 with it. And so the fact that he, he, uh, he, he lived three years after diagnosis was actually pretty remarkable for what the diagnosis he had. Uh, Tim Keller was, while we have some differences and theological points, he really was uh, someone who I benefited from immensely, uh, not in a personal way. I never met the man, um, but uh, through his teachings and through his books and, and his preaching, I, I've often told people he's my favorite preacher to listen to. Uh, I've just learned so much from him. One of the things that was... Uh, on the day he died, um, 
he was, there was supposed to be a gathering of the Redeemer churches because the, the, he had started a church that grew to uh, many thousands, and then they, they disbanded it because his idea, and I agree with him, is that, you know, uh, uh, five, you know, or as he put it, in one of the three churches of 800 will accomplish far more than one church of 2,400. And so that was his model is to break it into smaller churches. And so they were going to have, it was actually, they were scheduled for the day that he died. Uh, they were going to have a gathering of, of teaching of all these different churches that were under that umbrella. And they were going to, uh, you know, meet together for things. And that they, and, and Tim Keller had, had made a video that they were going to play as kind of some instructions for them just as a way of uh, kind of encouraging them uh, as they were, they were continuing on. So no one knew that when Tim made that video that that was going to be the last message that he was going to preach or, or deliver to the churches that he had helped start. There's a portion in that video at the end where he says this. He says, forget about building a reputation. He says, don't, if, if, if you're coming to New York City or you're coming and you're trying to, to pastor your church for your reputation's sake, do not do it. He says, don't. This is about Christ. This is not about you. This is not about your, your titles. This is not about your giftedness to be put on display. This is about Christ. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, what he said. That, well, that fits right with what Peter's saying here. Peter's saying here, it's not for shameful gain. So your expectations of the pastors here should be that they're pastoring here not out of trying to get a reputation, not out of trying to get a name for themselves, not out of trying to, to have a little kingdom here and, and, and have, a, a, you know, a, a huge bank account or things like this. He says, you know, not for shameful gain. That should be your expectation. And if any one of us ever goes outside of that, you have every right to ask some serious questions about our fitness for the ministry here. If we are operating out of trying to get our own agendas and our own shameful gain, our own reputations, and, um, and uh, it's just, that's, that's a rightful expectation that the congregation to have. That is not what a pastor should be, is according to this text here. Also in terms of this is also in terms of money. Um, you know, unfortunately, we live in a time where there's some celebrity pastors that, uh, I mean, it's all about wealth and prosperity gospel, and, and we cannot reject that more strongly here, that we are not about, the gospel is not about making people wealthy necessarily on this earth. God may choose to give wealth to some people, but it is never a promise or a guarantee. Our wealth and any wealth that we may have is eternal in Christ. And so pastors should never be about that. Now, I'm thankful that the church uh, takes seriously to, because the Bible also talks about giving double honor to those who are giving uh, uh, to the work of the ministry, particularly in the teaching. I appreciate the fact, and I'm so grateful for the fact that this church provides a salary for me uh, so that I don't have to get another job. They provide a salary, you provide a salary so that I can spend hours every week studying the Word and ministering to people so that then I could do this work and I don't have to worry about having another job to pay those things. And so I so appreciate that. Uh, and I'm grateful for what the church does provide. But it should never be about me demanding things or any elder demanding the church needs to do this and do that. Um, that's not the heart of a pastor. Those are the legitimate expectations that a church should have. But there is a reward, though. There is the reward of the shepherd here, and I need, to, I need to, to move along here. Some of you are looking at your outline going, oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Bear with me. We'll, we'll, we'll get through it. Don't worry. So the shepherd's reward, he talks about the shepherds that it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4, 
you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I'll stop there. So when the chief shepherd uh, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the image of like a victor's crown. And I I love the fact that it comes, that it says that we're not to be domineering, and I actually didn't talk about that, but we're not to be domineering. That's an expectation that we shouldn't be for shameful game, that we shouldn't be for domineering and trying to just uh, lord over people. Right after that, he says, the, the crown that you will receive is this, this is an eternal crown. And it's a victor's crown. It, it's, it's used that in, in other places in the scriptures here. And so um, this is really good because, you know, being a shepherd, or I'll say this, a shepherd's work does not always produce tangible results, okay? So, so for instance, so, you know, we'll, we'll say something like this. So I've, for this sermon here, I don't know how many hours I've put into this. It's really hard to categorize because it's, there's a lot of different things. But so, so you put a lot of time and effort into a sermon, okay, or in just shepherding care. Maybe it's a counseling or a, a situation or a conversation that you have with someone. And you have that conversation or you preach that sermon. And a lot of times people just go home. And that's fine. I'm not looking for any change in terms of like I'm asking for a line for everyone to tell me exactly how awesome my preaching is every Sunday, okay? All right. That's not the application of the sermon, okay? All right. Because I'd be violating a couple of the other points I just preached that, okay? But what I am saying is that it's just the nature of the job. And some of you have similar things where the nature of the job is that you don't really see something. So it's interesting. It's one of the reasons why I, 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 it dawned on me one time is like I, I just catch myself and I was actually kind of embarrassed, but when I get done mowing the lawn, you know, I don't know if some of you are this way, maybe I'm just like an old dude now, I don't know, but I get done mowing the lawn, and I just sit there, I walk around and look at it, that looks good, that's a straight line, man, that lawn looks good, and then like when I back out and I drive away the next morning, I'm like looking at it, man, that's good, my na- here we go. Like, you know, my neighbors, man, their neighbors look that much taller. Psh, yeah, you know, you know, I mean, you know, what, what it is, it's like, it, it dawned on me, the reason why I think I'm drawn to that is because it's tangible results. Like, I, I, I worked hard, I sweat on something, and then I see it looks good. Pastoring doesn't always produce that. Again, I'm not, this is not a complaint. This is just an, a, an explanation of why I think that Peter gives us and he says, you're going to receive a crown, okay? So you may not re- see some of the tangible effects today, and, and God hides that often for our good. It's just keep us humble, right? Okay, so that we're not proud and stuff like that. So again, no complaints here by me bringing this up. I'm just giving you the nature of the job. That this promise of an eternal reward that he gives to them, I think, is what kind of keeps some pastors going sometimes. It's like, you know what? When you try to help someone and it blows up and they don't receive it well or, or whatever the case may be, you know, sometimes when you're laying at night and you're thinking about, oh, should I have said this different or should I have done that different? And then in the end you just say, God, I'm sorry if I messed that up somehow, but Lord, this is in your care. I'm, I'm just trying to shepherd as, as best as I can. And the promise that God will reward that, that's encouraging to shepherds, okay? That's just encouraging to shepherds. So these are the expectations that they're going to get a reward and everything like this. So how do we apply this before we move on to the second point? Is Let me just encourage you, please continue to pray for the current shepherds that you have in your life. Pray that we remain faithful, okay? Please, it, it, it does me, my heart so good when someone says, hey, Jeremy, I prayed for you, or I'm praying for you. Or some, and, and typically, you'll often hear me say something like, please don't stop. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, please, please pray for your shepherds, not just me, but the entire elder team, okay? Um, 
also pray for God to raise up faithful shepherds from our church. We live in a time where there's actually a, uh, a shortage of good, godly pastors, okay? So pray that God raises up people from our church here. Pray, you know, maybe someone here today, you were wrestling with, should I serve in the role of eldership or should I be a pastor or something like that? Let me just encourage you, pray about that and pray for our church to produce more pastors. Uh, I think the way of training pastors is changing, is going to change uh, from the model that it has been. I think the church in the next 10, 15, 20 years is going to have to take the lead on training pastors over seminaries for a variety of reasons. I think that's the case. And that's one of the reasons why I've done, I mean, I'm continuing to do the education that I'm doing because I want us to be well positioned to take that mantle of training pastors because we do have a shortage of good pastors here. So pray for that. Um, and maybe someone here is calling someone here to be a shepherd. And let me just encourage you to pray earnestly about that. And I would love to talk to you about that. Okay, so how are we to live rightly under the shepherding care that God has provided? Uh, first of all, we have to have the right expectations of what a shepherd's job is, their motivation, and even uh, what the reward that they can anticipate would be. Secondly is, okay, so you have these shepherds that God's given. How, how do we live under it? Well, we've got to rightly respond to the shepherding care. I told my wife uh, when I was reviewing my notes a couple of days, or I can't remember when it was, and I was like, you know, this point is worded weirdly. If I didn't already print the outlines, I'd change it. So forgive the awkwardness of the, the terminology here. But we, you're supposed to respond well. We are supposed to respond well to the shepherding care that God has provided here. And how does he do that? Okay, well, first of all, he says, likewise, those who are younger be subject to the elders here. Now, this subjection here, being subject, has a universal, universal appeal. He's not talking only to the younger people here. I mean, he's targeting them. He's bringing them up for a reason, which I'll give in a second. But the theme is in the whole book. Look at chapter 2, verses 13 through chapter 3, verse 12, and you'll see this theme of all of us are to be subject to one to another here, okay? So this idea of being submissive to the authorities that God has put in our life is universal. But why does he choose the younger here. Why does he say this? I think probably is because they are the most of the group, they're most prone to rebel against authority. And he says, listen, those are younger, you, you know, the shepherds that God has put in your life, they're going to do some, some things that just aren't going to make sense to you. Okay, just, just, just be humble about that, okay? And so that's what, that's what we ask. We ask people, we, we always ask people, encourage people to ask questions, but do it in a humble way. Do it in a way that is, is gracious, and for the most part, the overwhelming majority of my experience here has been that, that people are pretty gracious. Some people, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just the way it is that, that they're not so gracious about it. I would just encourage all of us, treat others the way we want to be treated. And uh, some people are really suspicious of pastors. And I understand because maybe there's been a bad uh, a history. Some people have had some terrible experiences with pastors. And let me just say I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. There has been pastors who have abused their authorities and it's, uh, authority, and it seems like we hear more accounts of it, and, 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 and I'm sorry. But let me just encourage you not to be jaded and assume that every pastor is that way either. Because pastors have been burned by congregants a lot, and it would be wrong for us to feel that way and project that on every congregant that we have either. We just got to be subject to one another here, graciously being subject. But the, the main point here is subject to the elders here in their leading, their guidance here. Um, 
This is that text I, I mentioned earlier here, Hebrews chapter 13, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Here's the universal appeal, not just to the younger, by the way. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Listen, God has given shepherds to the church to care for the church. You know, and this is one of those messages that it's a little difficult to preach. Because in essence, I'm telling you, I am God's gift to you. <laughs> apply that how you want, <laughs> okay? But no, the point is, and so apply it biblically here. What we mean is it, it can be just awkward to say, but I have to teach it because that's what the text says. And again, this is not about building kingdoms. This is about only the kingdom of Christ that we're, we're trying to build here. He's given shepherds to care for the church and so what that means is, is that sometimes we have to have difficult conversations. Then we have to point out things that may not be right, sin patterns or something like that, and just say, I, I, think, I think you're not thinking correctly here. And let me just tell you this. Most people today, okay, this is a generalized statement. I'm going to say most, and we go beyond the, the application of our church, okay? So I'm just talking about Christians in general. Most people today and I've said this before, they really don't want a shepherd in their life. They want a cheerleader in their life, okay? They don't want someone who says, that's not right. You're not thinking correctly there. No, they want someone who just affirms their thinking and their decisions. And let me tell you, it's hard. It's hard sometimes. And if, someone, if anyone here thinks that I enjoy conflict, you really don't know me. Okay, I, I, no pastor, I, mean, I would say very, very, very few pastors actually enjoy conflict because we love our churches. We care for you. We don't want to be the ones saying, eh, you're sitting here, eh, that's wrong. But we wouldn't be a faithful shepherd if we didn't. And so there's times we have to encourage, we have to build up, and we have to say, keep going, do it. And then we have to say, you've got to knock that off. That's not helpful. And it's really hard sometimes to know if we have your permission to do that. But the point is, is that we don't really need it, but it sure is nice to have it, okay? So this idea of what is a pastor supposed to do, we're supposed to be uh, shepherding in a way that we need to lead in a way that makes it easy to follow. And I would encourage the, the congregation to be a congregation that makes them easy to lead. So it's much like in a marriage. You know, the husband needs to lead in a way that makes it easy for the wife to follow, and the wife needs to be someone who is easy to lead. And so the same thing is true in the church here. And so... The, uh, we rightly respond to our shepherd's care by being subject to them. And, and again, that's not saying that they're infallible. That's not by any stretch of imagination thinking that we, any of our decisions should never be called into question. This is the reason why we, we tell you about things and invite conversations. But there, it should come from a disposition of, hey, what's the best thing to do here? And uh, let's talk about that in a, in a spirit of humility and, and peaceableness. Uh, then he goes on in this text here. He says, and he moves, he kind of does this hard pivot from pastors to younger people then to everybody here. When he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. I'm in the end of verse 5. And then he talks about being humble here for a good portion of the rest of the chapter here. And so this idea of, of being humble here. I need to just to go through a few bullet points. I've actually preached a sermon uh, uh, years, several years ago. Um, from this part of the text here on humility. Um, I'm just going to give you some of those bullet points real quickly here. There's going to be several of them there. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I'm just going to give them to you. 
And, um, and then maybe there would be a good discussion that you could have in your small groups or around lunch table or something like that. Uh, but I have taught through this before here. Uh, first of all, humility is not an option for anybody. We see in the text there, all of you are to close yourselves in humility. Um, even the construction, the way verse 6 is written, it means all of you are commanded to be humble uh, without exception. There's an imperative there for all of us to be humble. So humility is not an option. It's something that we're all called to do, okay? This is living under the shepherding care that God has provided. And then there's a chief shepherd here that the shepherds here are under as well, okay? And so we need to exercise our leadership in humility as well, just like everyone in the church has to live in humility. Humility is not an option for anyone. Secondly, humility should be our identity. It's interesting why he says, clothe yourselves in humility. He says, this is what people should see. This is what should surround you. This should be who you are. Your identification is someone who is humble, okay? Someone is not just someone who just has flashes of humility, but this should be who we are because at the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no room for pride. In order to accept Christ as our Savior, there has to be humility there. In order to live as Christ's followers, we have to be humble. So humility should be our identity. Uh, number three, humility elicits God's response here. God opposes the pride, but he gives grace to the humble. The way that's written means he's constantly giving grace to the humble. And so this is one of the reasons why we live in humility, because God's commanded and it's reflective of Christ, but because he, this is the way we get grace. And, and there's really one type of person, according to the scriptures, that God gives grace to on a continual basis, and that's the humble. Okay? In our church, there's no room for pride. Pride has a, has a way of destroying congregations and churches. It's a way of destroying pastors and their ministry and there's just no room for that here. We need to be clothed in humility, and we will f- experience God's grace. Uh, fourthly, in the text here, pride also elicits or brings a response from God here. God opposes the proud. Think about how significant that is. Well, he's giving grace to the humble. He's opposing the proud. This is the idea of uh, we see in Proverbs, it says, these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination. One of them there is a proud look. He hates those things. He just absolutely hates it. He opposes it. Now, we use the word hate for all sorts of things like, you know, cottage cheese, and rightfully so. I mean, that stuff doesn't make sense. Okay, all right. But, you know, hate should really be reserved for things like child abuse, right? I mean, that's what we should hate. We use the word hate for all sorts of things. But God also uses the word hate for pride because pride leads to all sins. That's why he hates it so much. So if we're going to be a congregation that is following and living correctly under our shepherd's care because we're going through suffering, we're going through difficult times, and that's what's happening, this is what's going through the book here, what God is leading these people through. He says, listen, here's how you're going to lead. I'm going to give you shepherds to guide you. They're going to oversee. They're going to encourage you. And then all of you got to be humble if this is going to work, okay? If this church is going to work, if our church here is going to be successful in any way, how you want to frame that, but in the way God does, is that by we're going to be people who are growing in Christ and bringing people to know Christ more. If we're going to be successful in that, pride has to be eradicated. It's got to be out of here, okay? Because God opposes the pride of the proud. Number five, humility, rest in God's care. Um, 
says, casting all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Okay, this is in verse 7. This is how we are to exercise humility. Is that all those anxieties, all the things that we have, we're casting on Christ because he cares for us. All right? And then uh, humility, number six, recognizes our susceptibility to Satan's strategies. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. We have to be knowing that we're susceptible to Satan's strategies. You know what Satan likes to do? He likes to mess with our thinking. That's why he says, be sober-minded. Three times in this book, he says, be sober-minded, right? Be watchful. Three times he talks about the mind of like, you got to be careful in your thinking because the enemy likes to mess with our thinking. He likes to get us to, to doubt things and get us to think in strange ways. That's what the enemy likes to try to do. And humility recognizes that we're susceptible to that. And so we cast our care upon God and we trust and follow Christ. Uh, the enemy also looks for us in our weakest state. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. The, the lions are always looking for the weakest of the bunch. And so that's what Satan's doing here. He likes to make us feel isolated here. And he says, know that other people are being, experiencing the same thing. That's what he says in the text here. A strategy of the enemy is to make us feel like we're the only ones. We're the only ones that could possibly understand what we're going through. We're the only ones that are going through this. And that's a strategy of the enemy. Now, trials are unique, sure. But, but the suffering that you're going through, whatever it is, it's not only unique to you. And don't believe that lie. God's giving you the church to support you in that. And pastors help guide you through that, as according to this text here. And uh, he tries to make us question our faith. That's why he says, resist him, firm in your faith. Later on in verse 12, stand firm in the grace of God. Humility recognizes our susceptibility to Satan's strategies. So be subject to the elders, let us do our job in, in caring for you. Be humble. Um, there's a handout that's on the welcome table. It's called 50 Fruits of Pride. I also put a link on it on the uh, sermon resources in the church app. Um, let me encourage you to, to pick one of those up. I gave that out several years ago here. So I, I, I'm redistributing it. It's not original with me, but on the welcome table to document there are 50 Fruits of Pride. It just shows you how pride show, comes up in everyday life so often. Let me encourage you to look through that and in efforts to foster humility in our lives. We're told to be sober-minded here. We do our worst thinking when we're stressed out, worn out, anxious, or discouraged. That's when we do our worst type of thinking. And so he says, be sober. God's given you shepherds to help you think as well, okay? So we want to be here to help you think through things. This is one of the things that we do as elders is we just sit and we help people think through things. A lot of times I, I, I don't tell people what to do. I just help them think through the options that are in front of them. Because, and we all need this. We all need that in our lives. That's one of the reasons why we're here. Okay, our last point is the shortest. And uh, we'll, we'll get through this quickly here. How do we live under the shepherd's care? By resting in the chief, in the chief shepherd's work. In the chief shepherds work. Here's what I want to do. Ver, um, not only did God give us earthly shepherds to guide, but he provided a chief shepherd. And any shepherding that the elders of our church do is under the headship of Jesus Christ. We've said this, I've said this from day one, this is not our church, this is not my church, this is Jesus' church. And he's a chief shepherd and we're just trying to serve under his headship. Do we always do it perfectly? No. But we're doing our best here and keep praying for us. Um, so we rest in the chief shepherd's work of Christ. Now, I will say this, is that uh, verse 10 and 11, 
They provide a summary of the book, I think. I think as Peter's given this bring to a close, he's given a a summary of what he's covered uh, in the entire book. He says, and after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here. So here's the summary of it. Again, it's going to go quickly here. You'll probably suffer as a Christian. Know that. That's the point of the book. You're going to go through difficult times. You're probably already in some suffering. So that's going to happen, okay? After you've suffered for a while, it says there in verse 10. Number two, he says, listen, your suffering will not last forever. After you've suffered for a little while, okay, knowing that it's not going to last forever. Your suffering has a shelf life, so to speak. Okay, is not going to last forever here. It may feel that way. And some of you may have been dealing with something for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But still not going to be forever. Because eternity, all things are made right. All things are made right. Number three uh, in the text, here, it says God will make it worthwhile there. And the, a God of all grace. You notice that? All grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. God will make it worthwhile. He himself will redeem these things if we follow him, right? This is what we're, we're following, the shepherding care that God's provided for us in our churches, and we're following the chief shepherd ultimately. And if the, the shepherding in the local churches isn't matching what the chief shepherd is doing, then we've got to disconnect and we've got to fix that problem. But if you look at what the, the, the local church shepherds are trying to accomplish and it's following the chief shepherd, then you follow them as they follow Christ. And lastly here, God gets the glory. He gets the glory. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Some earlier manuscripts, they also put the word glory in there. I don't think it was originally in there. But uh, there's this idea that this is part of a doxology there. That he gets, he's in control of all things. His dominion is forever and over all things. And he gets the glory as uh, we see uh, here. So to him be dominion forever and ever. So if we're going to thrive in this life, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and even physically, we must rest in God's grace. Now, this doesn't mean we're passive. Instead, we're commanded to resist the enemy, as we talked about, to stand firm in our faith. This is what we're called to do. But we do it by resting in the grace of God while we're actively following Christ and following those that God has given to us to help shepherd and and guide us. So we started with this. To help us live this life, God has supplied shepherding care to live under. The Christian life is difficult. God has given us shepherds to care for the church. Um, uh, who operate under the guidance of the chief shepherd. Our disposition must be humility and a willingness to listen to their oversight and care. Doing so will help us follow Christ, stand firm in the faith, resist the devil, and receive that eternal reward that awaits those who follow Christ to the end. And so, Peter concludes his letter here to a group of struggling Christians saying, He's given you the things that you need. In fact, in the second letter that Peter's going to write, he says, I have given you all things for life and godliness. That's what he's going to write to them again. And so one of those things is he's given us a church to be part of and elders who care for your souls.